Hello! Welcome to Whip Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Ellen Kammerer. And today we are talking about the BBC Emma miniseries from 2009. Yay! Yes, this one was one we found while we were just kind of perusing for other adaptations and decided to watch this one because we couldn't find that elusive Kate Beckinsale adaptation. Yes. So we stumbled upon this one and it stars Ramala Garai, Michael Gambon. Gambondor! Sorry. <laughs> uh, Johnny Lee Miller, who we all know from Elementary. And other things. And other things, yeah. Other adaptations. Yes. Uh, Rupert Evans uh, and Robert Bathurst. Yes! So. Who was in Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole thing with this before we started recording, before guys. Before we started where... recording, we were very confused. <laughs> but yes, he was in Downton Abbey. <laughs> I was talking about Rupert Evans. She was talking about... <laughs> Robert Bathurst. I was like, he's in Downton Abbey. And I was like, no, he's not. I'm on his IMBD. He's not being Rupert Evans. And I was like, yes, he is. And I'm on Robert Bathurst being like, here it is. And it took us a while to realize we were talking about two different people. Yeah. yeah. This is this is what happens when you're not in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So like I couldn't just like lean over and look at her computer and be like, uh, and no, bitch, this is the wrong person. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so this is what we're talking about today. Yes. Yeah, it's a mini series. I th- believe it's four episodes. Four. Yep, you got it. They're about an hour long. Yeah, it's it was it went really quick. It like, did. I was I was expecting to kind of feel a little bit bogged down in certain places. Like, mm-hmm. not gonna lie, I can kind of sometimes feel watching the Pride and Prejudice one because it's so much longer. Right. But this one moved pretty quickly, and I was it kind did. of surprised by that, given how much bigger of a book Emma is. Compared to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Let's just like dive right in because while that's like fresh on our minds, I would love to talk about like what made it move that fast. And I think one of the things is the additions to the miniseries that weren't in the book that gave us some kind of background knowledge about the Mm -hmm. characters, suggesting that all of them were connected as children. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That clearly is not in the book at all, um, but they wove it into the movie. And I kind of like that because you would assume they were all born in the same little county village in England. So, Mm -hmm. of course, they probably would have known each other as children. So... The beginning of this miniseries starts out with little kid Emma, little kid Frank, and little kid Jane. And while we're being introduced to Emma and how she, you know, is, you know, this well-off daughter who has a family who loves her, everything is good. Then we start to see, like, how Emma is different from Frank and Jane in that Jane and Frank were both taken away from Highbury when they were kids. So... Not only does this give us like an interesting change and an interesting like perspective, but it also is able to cut all of that extra like backstory fill that you get throughout the book Mm -hmm. in Emma. Yeah. So like we don't have to worry about, you know, Miss Bates telling us about Jane's backstory. We get it right here at the beginning at a very little like clip of just Jane being taken by Colonel Campbell away. Uh, We see Mr. Weston's wife die and, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Churchill coming in and taking Frank. And Mm -hmm. it's really 
It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, there is one thing I wanted to kind of point out. I wanted to know if you picked this up, Katrina. Okay. So Emma and Miss Taylor are walking through town. And Mr. Perry and Mr. Weston come running past because Mr. Weston's wife has died. And he's bringing Mr. Perry to the house. Like they run by and it's very like panicked and they're like going to open the door. And Miss Taylor turns to look and she catches the eye of Mr. Weston. And it totally is like, oh, I see you. Okay, I see you. Yeah, you're cute. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Dude, your wife is dead. You're bringing the doctor because your wife is dead and or dying inside your house. And you're already flirting with your eyes. With I this, didn't know with that it was that. What the hell? I didn't think it was like flirtation. I think it was just like for, it was like a nod to people who know the story. Like, here's, here they are. They're going to get together. And like, of course, they would have been aware of each other throughout the whole they're thing. The flirty, the flirty eyes are in, in the church. In the, right, in that there were service. flirty eyes on the stoop of his house when his wife is dying inside. <laughs> okay, I didn't That's see the flirty cute. eyes there. That's their meat cute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the church when she, because she's like, he's like looking Officially over at her and, and Emma's looking in season. She's like, oh, okay, okay. Because, oh, so the church scene, just for those of you who haven't seen it, it's the scene where Isabella is marrying John Knightley. Which we get a little bit of that. Too. We get we a get little to see bit of them that. before they're married. Yes. They're like out Cute, in the yard, flirty. like running like, around. Yeah. He's like and, smacking and, her butt with like this tree branch. <laughs> <laughs> But it's really cute. It's in a cute way, not in a Mm -hmm. scary way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, I was a little concerned with that scene because we're seeing it through Emma and uh, George Knightley's point of view. Mm -hmm. They're inside and they're looking out and Emma's all like, oh, dude, I think my brother or I think my sister and your brother are going to get married. And Knightley's all like, "Eh, no, that's not going to happen. And like, in my head, I'm just like. Please don't let there be anything weird between Knightley and Emma in this moment. Like, please don't let there be any obvious, like, connection or romantic connection between the two of them in this moment. Because that would be really, really weird. And I couldn't tell if there was or if it was just my brain trying to not see something. There wasn't. So the whole thing with that is they're trying to set it up. So it's like Emma is making all these love connections. Mm -hmm. She sets up Isabella and John Knightley. She sets up Mr. Weston and Miss Taylor. Like, and through after each one, because this is all at the beginning, she goes back to... Um, Mr. Knightley and is like, see, look, look what I did. And he's like, no, you didn't do that. It's because, you know, we've, we've known each other growing up. Of course, my brother and your sister would get married or no, like these two have like seen each other. Of course they would get married, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is, that's the beginning. That's the setup. And that's kind of one of the big differences. Though there is this weird thing where it's like, Emma says, Frank Jane and I have this odd connection yeah and it's like mysterious yeah this mysterious connection and it's really just that like they were all kids in the area at the same time and like two of them left but like it sounds like they're gonna like band together and form a superhero team or something (laughs) it's all it's that all of their mothers die and the only difference is that emma gets to remain at home and this harkens back to is harkened back to later in one of the later episodes where she's talking to her dad, Mr. Woodhouse, played by Michael Gambon. Mm-hmm. And she's like, 
I'm so grateful, Father, you never sent us away. You kept Isabella and I here, you know, so we got to live here always, be in a home where people loved us and took care of us. And, like, that's, like, the main difference she sees between herself and, like, Jane or herself and Frank. See, I didn't make that connection about all of the mothers being dead. Mm -hmm. But now that you say that and connecting it to what Emma was saying to her dad, I feel like that's a little, like... I mean, that's a little bit of shade thrown on Jane and Frank because it's like they were both removed from their homes because the people who were there couldn't take care of them. Not because they weren't loved by the people who had to let them go. She didn't say it like that way. It was more like she was trying to placate her father because he was feeling sad because everybody was leaving. I think it's like at the end where she's like getting married and he's like afraid of losing her. No, it's before Box Hill. Oh, is it? Because he's afraid of her getting injured or dying on her way to Box Hill. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because this Mr. Woodhouse is definitely a lot more like, don't leave the house. He's he's very Mr. Woodhouse-y. He's yeah, the, yeah. I think he's the Mr. Woodhousey Woodhouse of all the ones that we've seen. Yeah. But I, I felt it more like she was trying to console him and make him feel better. Mm-hmm. But then also at the same time, just being grateful to mm-hmm. have a dad who, because he, like, that could have, he could have just easily been like, I'm a man. I mm-hmm. have money. I don't know what daughters are. Go mm-hmm. off to a boarding school or go off to live with an aunt or go off someplace else. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, he didn't do that. And the reason for that really is because of Miss Taylor. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I will say that while now uh, that connection is made in my head, um, it still did sound like when Emma was talking to Harry and she's like, there's this mysterious connection between me and Jane and Frank. It did totally sounded like they were going to become superheroes. I was waiting for that to happen. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, a mysterious connection? I was like going for like the Northanger Abbey. Like, like, oh my gosh, they have to, they're going to band together and solve the mystery of why all their mothers died at the same time. They were all poisoned. It's foul play, you guys. The vicar mm-hmm. did it. As mm-hmm. we know, the vicar always mm-hmm. does it. Mm-hmm. 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 but the vicar was already dead oh my god i think it was mr weston and it was all to get miss taylor no. <laughs> that's why i was all flirty eyes with her outside his house <laughs> anyway so that's kind of the biggest difference between this miniseries and pretty much all of the other adaptations and the book that we've seen. So I like keeping with the theme of editions. Now these are things that I've noticed that they put in here that weren't in the other film adaptations we watched, but that were part of the book. So Mm -hmm. just like a little, little bit of a switch here, but I am so glad we finally got the, the tiles scene, the scene with the the word tiles. tiles. Yeah. So glad we finally got that. I wanted to see, because that's not in either of the other ones. And of course, like, Mm-mm. that is a natural omission for, mm-hmm. like, a shorter film. It makes total sense of not, like, saying that they needed to be in there. But I wanted mm-hmm. to see that scene. I wanted to see it play out. And it was, it lived up to my expectations. Yeah. Uh, the same with um, the Donwell Abbey Yes, because in the other adaptations, obviously, because they're films, they kind of compacted and combined Box Hill and the Donwell Abbey scene. But we actually get to see Donwell Abbey and which we did see in the 2020 adaptation. We did see inside Donwell Abbey and it might have been the same house. Yeah. But um, (laughs) yeah, they did look very similar. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I really liked that we saw the whole like strawberry picking thing and 
Mrs. Elton being all like, oh, I will get your, uh, I'll be the one in charge of the guests and stuff like that. And how they kept cutting yes. to her whenever they were making plans and stuff. And like, that, I thought that she that was came nice on the donkey. She oh, came yeah. on the donkey, yeah. which was like, that is in the book. But I don't remember mm-hmm. her being on a donkey and the other ones. I was like, ah. <laughs> like, why is she riding a donkey? I don't get it. Is it like a pastoral throwback? I don't understand. I don't understand that woman at all. <laughs> anyway. I mean, because that's the thing. Like, this was a miniseries, so they got to cover a lot more. So they did cover more of stuff actually in the book than some of the other ones. So, like, even just, like, small conversations. Like, Emma and Frank talking after he ran into Jane after, you know, she left and how upset Frank was. And, like, we see Knightley talking with Harriet. Like, as, you know, there's like passing like when emma passes by and stuff like that we see the pianoforte we have the scene where frank is giving jane grief while playing the pianoforte yes yeah Yeah. when they go to visit them they call them the next day yeah we get that and the yelling out the window and like inviting mr Uh knightley up and yeah and the apples and the apples yes and And the the whole speech about the pork pork! It was all I say, there, but it was done in a way that I wasn't like rolling my eyes. <laughs> I, I actually really liked uh, Miss Spates in this one because mm-hmm. in the book, you know, she just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But here she was able to kind of sound and like come off as like the person who's going to just keep going on, but also like keep it interesting because she was like. In the scene with where she's talking about the pork slash Mr. Elton's wedding, she's just like, oh, Emma, that pork, that pork was great. We so love it. Did you know that Mr. Elton got married? My mother loves the pork. This is like <laughs> yeah. her best one. Oh, yeah. she. It's only been a couple weeks in Bath. Like, yeah. So you had to keep paying attention because she would start saying something and then like stop or somebody would say something and then she would flip it on you yeah. and then go back. So you had to pay attention. Oh, yeah. I really liked that. Um, but you still got the idea that she was like that kind of like nails on a chalkboard kind of personality 100 but i didn't hate her no me either i she was <laughs> yeah, really was entertaining um mm-hmm. i i thought it was really interesting now that we're on miss bates and like keeping with the theme of additions like they were trying to explain mrs bates the elder why mm-hmm. she is so quiet all the time and it's really interesting because like in the beginning of course when they're young children and jane is being sent away and everything is happening Miss Bates is trying to convince her mother, Mrs. Bates, this, that this is what's best for Jane. They can't mm-hmm. take care of her. They'll The Campbells will be able to give her everything that they can't. And it's very evident that Mrs. Bates thinks that Jane should stay, right? Yeah. And so she starts being quiet. Like, she just doesn't say anything. And as she gets older, she's not saying things. And, like, it's almost to the point where it's like, is there something with her mind that she's not speaking anymore because they do reference it? And then at the end, when Jane is like back and she's getting married to Frank Churchill and all as well, she just talks nonstop again. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, what do you think they were suggesting there? Because at first I was like, it's like an elderly kind of thing that she isn't speaking. But now I'm thinking like it has something to do with Jane. I think it might just be because she she wanted Jane to be happy. Yeah. Because the the first and only time we see Jane happy is after she's, you know, after the engagement is out and she can be with Frank. And that's when we start to see Mrs. Bates actually, you know, kind of come to life again. Yeah. So I was getting the idea that she 
starts talking and starts being herself again when she realizes that Jane is happy. Okay. That's yeah. how I took it. I thought that was an interesting addition to kind of like help explain mm-hmm. why she's so quiet. Because like in the other adaptations, you just assume it's like an elderly thing. Like she doesn't talk yeah. anymore. She can't hear as well. So like what's, you know, that explains it away. But this felt very purposeful. Like she was the mm-hmm. one who was in charge of like her speaking or not speaking. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. We got John Knightley fleshed out more as the character like you do in the book, which is nice because at the beginning you see that he's kind of an asshole and then you can kind of see him just kind of being a little bit more like just a normal grumpy dude. You really (laughs) get the the sense because like in the very beginning when we were reading this, I was like, this is clearly a man who is like shocked by his life choices, right? He's like, I have five (laughs) children. I have to work all the time to support my wife and five children. Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And like you really get that in this because like you see him when he's young and he's like flirty with Isabella and he's just like a wild thing like I'm Mm -hmm. gonna be cute and flirty and get this girl like smack her with a tree branch I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I just can't get over that anyway and then yeah they get married they have all their kids and they come to to Hartfield for that Christmas right Mm -hmm. and like that's basically how it is in the book like you get the sense that he is Mm -hmm. a man who is like I'm really grumpy. He's, like, really snappy with Michael Gambon, Mr. Woodhouse, like, mm-hmm. more so than the other John Knightleys in the other version. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you, you're you just like, whoa, did he really just say that? He is a man at the edge of a cliff. <laughs> yeah. I feel like in the other adaptations, he was kind of exaggerated more. Yeah. I know in the 2021, he was almost like a butt of a joke. Right. You know? And this was more true to the actual book. Yeah. I kind of preferred it. I did too. Because like, yeah, he felt more like a normal human. Yeah. And then like um, at the very end, he gets like one more little like him and him and Isabella kind of like do one more little flirt to show that, oh, yeah, they do really like each other. <laughs> they're, they're in it for the long haul. I yeah. like how like proud he is of his kids, even though they're like wild children. I love the scenes mm-hmm. where it's like when Mr. Knightley goes to visit them and they're like, Uncle George, Uncle George. And they're like, want to do everything mm-hmm. with him. And he's like being all funny with them. Like that felt very real. But also John Knightley himself, like. He, when they're in the town, we get that scene where he's, like, seen Emma and Mr. Elton interact before the dreaded carriage scene. And, like, mm-hmm. he's, like, telling Emma, you're totally flirting with this dude. And she's like, no. And he's like, this dude likes mm-hmm. you. She's like, no. That was in the book that we didn't mm-hmm. have another adaptation, so I like that. But he he initiates that with, what would you say about my kids? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking shit about my kids? <laughs> He's like a very proud papa, well, even though he's like, yeah. And then even when he runs into Jane in the rain, yes. he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, they're they're crazy little kids or whatever, but I got to take them home. Yeah. And then there's even a scene um, at the dinner table where the youngest boy is sitting with the family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a really nice addition because, yeah, he would be. Yeah. Like if he's quite getting to that age and, you know, he it's like an intimate dinner family, family dinner. Yeah. 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 Whereas the other ones would be in bed because they're younger. Yeah. And you get that scene right before that where it's like the younger girls. And Emma's like, you guys should be in bed by now. And like they're running yeah. through the house and they're like yeah. creating chaos. And like that's what kids do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it felt very real. I liked that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking those are the only additions. What else do we yeah. have? Um. So next thing on our list is um. let's talk about 
Emma and Frank specifically and how they okay. compared to book Emma, book Frank, and then the mm-hmm. other adaptations we talked about. Because we get a lot more into their relationship in the miniseries, obviously because there's more time so they can do that than in the previous uh, film adaptations we watched. So I'm just going to say this loud and clear one more time because we keep saying it. We know that the reason why we get more is because it's a miniseries. <laughs> yes. So when we say we get more of Frank in this, we're not talking down about the films. We know that the films can't do that. Yeah. So I'm just going to say it last time. We know we get more because it's a mini series. But we still need to talk about it. (laughs) We do because we like how this, how this works. Yeah. (laughs) So Emma, let's talk about Emma. Yes. So I felt that Emma in the miniseries was very true to the Emma in the book. We have her weird romance detachment, like, throughout the whole thing. You really get the sense that, like, okay, maybe this version is really going to tackle and, like, challenge the idea that Emma isn't a romance. Like, maybe that will happen. Because throughout at least the first three, she is very much like her her character but then the fourth episode you do get a little bit of it like not as much as like in maybe the 2020 or in the Gwyneth Paltrow film adaptation where like it's really heavily like prevalent that she is falling in love with um Mr. Knightley Mm -hmm. so I thought that was interesting um I mean she I think she loves him in this miniseries film more so than we see in the book then I was thinking is that like interpretation of people creating this miniseries and wanting it to be a romance because they think it should be or they think Emma should have that are they like taking that license or have we just misread this book and there is romance in there that we clearly missed I don't know well so the fourth episode is where we get Emma's realization that no she loves Knightley Mm -hmm. you know so I could see why there would amp up the romance there but I will say that I didn't feel the love between Emma and Knightley as much in this series or in this miniseries as I did in like the 2020 film you know it the way it's filmed there's those looks between them there's that whole thing after the ball where he like runs after her carriage and everything like that. You don't really get that as much. It's very subdued and subtle when you do because like at the ball when they do finally dance there is a little bit of like like they do take their time with that dance scene between them. You see Mm -hmm. their whole dance scene and like I think it's supposed to like drop those little kernels in there. So the dance scene I think is interesting because like when Knightley sees Emma dancing with Frank he sees how happy she is and Mm -hmm. like so energetic and it makes him happy to see her happy yeah and then he starts to see how worried and like upset she is that nobody's dancing with Harriet and he sees that and he acts upon that and then goes in and does that so I think that that's where we really do start to see a little bit of the hints of a romance blossoming, yeah. but less from Emma and more just from Knightley. Yes, and before I agree. that, yeah, before that, I don't feel like there was really anything there um, other than just like, you know, like they know each other, they care about each other, their family. Right. They, you know, like he's there, he picks on her. It like, 
it, it felt a little bit more akin to Cher and Josh in Clueless, yeah. where it's like, they're there, they're very comfortable around each other, they have these little jokes, they pick on each other, you know, they can stand like close to each other or sit close to each other and not have there be some sort of awkwardness because they're too close, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So they really did feel a lot more like friends that, yes. you know, have been put in a situation, they've known each other their whole lives and everything like that. I didn't get that as much from the book. Right. And I think that that's because Knightley's age and the way he acts in the book compared to Emma and her age and how she acts. Whereas I feel like in this adaptation, like at certain times, Emma acts like her age and sometimes she acts a little bit more mature. But I definitely feel like this Mr. Knightley is more like laid back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he doesn't act his age in the same sense. Like he's still a responsible person. But he seems more like he's, like, willing to just, like, sit back and chill. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So. And he felt more close in age, even though, like, they do make a mention of the age gap and they put that out there. And it is, like, the actual age gap that they reference. But he still, especially with the actor, it felt like they were closer. Um, Even to the point where, like, this, we get Mr. Martin, right? We get the scene where Mr. Martin goes to him and is, like... I want to marry Harriet at the beginning mm-hmm. and like he's giving that advice but it felt more like not necessarily like permission but like advice giving and it felt like two friends talking to each other and we know that they're they're friends in the book or like at least they are friendly but like it felt like they were two guys close in age who are friends having mm-hmm. this conversation as opposed to like oh the owner of the, the land yeah. and the farmer or whatever it was you know mm mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. Knightley definitely felt a little bit more relatable. Yes. In this version than he does in the books. Uh, and not just to like the reader slash watcher, but also just to the people of Highbury. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily a change, because I feel like the more I think about it and Knightley's role within Highbury, I feel like maybe Austin was trying to do that a little bit because he is so connected with everything and he is friends with the Martins, even though they're below his class and stuff like that. I just feel like it didn't translate as well from the book. Yeah. And maybe because um, and that could also just be because it was the first time first reading time. it as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I definitely feel like this, this Knightley is more laid back and chill. Yeah. And I liked that. And I feel like Emma is a little bit more chill I agree. in this too. Like she doesn't she's not like super dramatic or anything like that. And like she isn't like actively looking out for like things. Like with Harriet she does, like it is in the book, but it's not it doesn't I don't know. I feel like in the other films that we watch, it felt like very driving. Like this she had to do it. It was a driving force. It was her mm-hmm. purpose. For being in Hartfield. Whereas this mm-hmm. miniseries made it feel like she lives here. Of course she's going to do this because this is just her life. And it's not that she's like actively out there driving, putting people mm-hmm. together or like driving Harriet's life choices. It just felt like, I don't it felt more natural. I, I yeah. don't know how to describe it other than that, which I know is a terrible way to describe what I'm trying well, to like convey here. So... I feel like the Emma in this series feels more like a real person. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, 
like her reactions to things, the like casual conversation she has, like when she was in the hallway with John Knightley after he t- put the kids to bed, like they're like just like walking down and she's like, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, the kids are put down, blah, blah, blah. You know, just like it's she just seemed more normal, like she was having normal like interactions with people she bumped into in the street and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, like, when you see her, like, making the love connections in the beginning, you, as the viewer, you're like, I can see Emma thinks that she's doing this, but also I see all the other evidence around it that shows that she's not, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you really get that as much, maybe, with the other films, where it's, like, it it felt very purposeful. Like, Emma is the Mm -hmm. reason for all of this right here. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, in this one, you get, like, how it is in the book where, like, she thinks she's moving all these things and orchestrating all these things. But really, she's not. <laughs> she's just yeah. living her life, you know? I don't know. Yeah. And that's the best way I could describe it. It just felt effortless. Her, like, existence in Hartfield felt effortless. Yeah. Felt yeah. Like anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that's what I thought about Emma. Um, Talk to me about Frank. Let's Let's get into that. Yeah, so in other films we've had, like, I feel like the Frank Jane stuff was kind of sacrificed a little bit. Like, we don't see the tension between them. We don't see them interacting. We see Frank and Emma interacting, and we see that Frank was, like, flirting with Emma and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like the way it was done in this miniseries, because it was pretty much done the way it is in the book, was done better because we saw Frank and Jane interact, we saw how he hurt her and how she reacted to things that he did. And but at the same time, and I th- I think almost more importantly, we saw him like heavy duty flirting with Emma. Hardcore. All right. Can we just yeah. like, let's just talk about Box Hill right now, because I felt like in the other ones, like the Box Hill issues, it's all on Emma. She's the mm-hmm. bad guy at Box Hill. But in this miniseries, the bad guy at Box Hill is Frank Churchill. Mm-hmm. To the point where even when Emma made her, like, nasty comment to Miss Bates, it didn't feel as awkward. It really didn't. It really didn't. But Frank being a dick and, like, laying mm-hmm. his lap and Emma in front of Jane and then it cuts to Jane and her, like, broken-hearted face and you're just like... Fucker Frank Churchill. <laughs> yeah, so seriously, like, after that comment that Emma makes and she disses Mrs. Bates or Miss Bates and the Eltons walk off. And I just want to say that, like, the comment that Emma makes, it really feels like it just came out of her mouth without her realizing it in that voice. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, in, I know in the 2021, it, it felt more like it was a dig. Yeah. Uh, same with, like, the Gwyneth Paltrow one. It mm-hmm. felt a little bit more like it was a dig. But this one was really just kind of like she was laughing at frank and laughing at this and that and it just kind of came out and she couldn't stop herself but she like actively tries to like remove herself from the conversation a bit by like turning and looking out across the way but frank keeps like pulling her back into this awkward conversation and it's jane miss bates uh mr knightley and mr weston sitting there still and frank is like talking and stuff like that oh and harriet's there too Mm -hmm. so he just pulls Emma back in by like getting her attention. And then he like lays down and just like puts his head like in her lap. So he's like looking up at her and she has to like look down at him and their faces are really close. And he's talking about how Emma needs to like 
find him a bride and make her just like her and have the same color eyes. And Jane is right fucking there. And you just see it in her face. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, but like there's some serious hardcore flirting there. Yeah. And that's like the worst of it. But there's hardcore flirting when like they decide on the ball. Mm -hmm. There is just anytime that they're together. It's very clear that Frank is flirting with Emma. Yeah. It's like it is more so in the book. Yeah. And then when he does, you get like the sideways glances to Jane. Like, to the point where I'm like, is he purposefully hurting Jane in this film adaptation? Like, does he want to hurt her? I don't understand. I'm trying to remember back at the book and I don't remember if we thought that that was happening all the time well, in the book. Well, because in the book, you don't see them together. And when you do see them together, Miss Bates is talking the whole time. Yeah. But this, I don't know, it just, like, like, we get the, so when the pianoforte, she gets the pianoforte, and, like, they're all talking about it, we do get Frank's knowing looks and his smile, mm-hmm. like, yep, that was me. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. he's, you see the points where he's acknowledging that he has this connection with her but at the same time he flirts so hard with emma and in the letter tiles scene like you see him slide dixon and then like when they do the flashback you see him slide blunder and like all of these things there and well so i felt like this adaptation the scene where frank is supposedly going to like confess that he's engaged to jane it just felt really awkward because i didn't feel like I didn't feel as though that was something he was actually going to do because of how much he was flirting with Emma. Yeah. Like, because in the book, there's kind of a bit of a balance, you know, like we know he's flirting with Emma, but we also kind of get this idea that there is this connection with Jane. Whereas in this adaptation, it just felt so much like he was just focused on Emma and that Jane was just something there that they could make fun of. Yeah. You know? Yep. I agree. So. But that's kind of how it is in the book. They they are often on their own, like, Right, right. And, but he and he does too. He's like, he's like, oh, who did her hair? Like he said that in the book, and like, yeah. But like at the that. same time, like there were also little moments in the book that we saw where he would step over and just like, like there was a whole thing at I think the camp, not the Campbells, the Coles, where he went over and he was like talking with Jane, and we didn't know what they were talking about. He said he was going to go over and like make fun of her, but he was over there for a while and we don't know what they said. Mm -hmm. And like, he goes over to the Bates's house. And I remember when we got to that part of the book um, where he was going to confess the engagement to Emma, he had just come from the Bates's house. And I was like, Oh, that's really suspicious. Like there has to be something there. There has to be something there. Like I remember thinking that, but in this adaptation, I feel like there was less obvious that there was something between him and Jane. Um, yeah, he was just hardcore flirting. He was. And, and it was if he was trying to cover up any sort of connection there, he did a great job because mm-hmm. he was just ruthless. And I think that I think that Rupert Evans did a really good job as playing Frank. Yeah, I agree. Um and this is this is coming after we watched Ewan McGregor do it. Um <laughs> So I, I think that he did a really good job and I did I did like this this version of Frank. And I can see how this version of Frank could be painted as a bit of a villain Mm -hmm. you know because it does seem more like he's like doing something bad when he's flirting with emma and stuff like that so it does make their like like his and jane's like reunion at the end kind of like a little weird because it's like yeah she's so happy and i'm like (laughs) he's been ripping on 
so that is something that we are missing yeah. from the book that's not in this adaptation. And I don't know why, but my brain is blanking. I don't know if it's at any of them, which is when Frank realizes that he's going to lose Jane and he panics. Yeah. And like, that's when he realizes, oh shit, I've been, I've done wrong. Yeah. That's why you I get need all to make those this flashback better. scenes at the end, which I really liked that they did yeah. that. Like when Frank is explaining everything and finally coming clean, like they give you the flashbacks to those mm. parts so you can like actually see it. Yeah. But I don't think we see so much the like, please send me back all of my letters. Here's your box of letters yeah. kind of a thing, which we get in the book. Mm-hmm. And that I think makes it to where like that scene in the book is what makes Emma and Frank's relationship at the end of the book more okay. And Jane and Frank's relationship at the end of the book more okay. Like we know Frank has to make it up to Jane at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but we already see that he realized that he made this huge mistake and yeah. he's acting to make it better. Whereas I feel like it was less obvious in this adaptation. You know what? I'm just having this thought, like, we know Frank behaves very badly at Fox Hill. Like, he does mm-hmm. in this miniseries, he does in the book. Like, it's pretty bad. And I'm finally making the connection. You probably have already done this. But it's like, the day before, he had a big fight with Jane mm-hmm. about, like, wanting to walk her home and about, like, whatever it was. And, like, he's probably also trying to get back at her. Like, trying to, like, yeah. you know, like see i don't need you kind of thing maybe that's why he was like particularly ruthless at box hill yeah yeah i was thinking about that yeah because the flirt really did amp up at box hill Mm -hmm. compared to even that yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense Yeah. yeah um also once more frank and emma meet before they actually meet and he is on horseback it is very brief yeah but he is on horseback and they meet before they're supposed to meet. Also, the explanation for why that happens kind of sounds like bullshit. Yeah. It's just... Because he shows up and he's clearly lost. And Emma and Harriet are like, are you lost? And he's like, no, I know where I'm going. And then he rides off. And then, like, four days later, like, he shows up in town like he's supposed to. And Frank is like, yeah, I rode all the way here. And then I realized, oh, I need to go back home because my aunt wouldn't let me. And if I just showed up for like an hour, it would be worse than not showing up at all. And I'm just like, bullshit, you rode into town to see if Jane was in town and then rode out of town. Yep. Yeah. And I'm just like. But again. That's not in the book. They meet each other. Like in every film adaptation we've watched, they meet each other. He is on horseback. They meet each other before they're supposed to. To the point where it's like, did I miss this part in the book? Like, every film adaptation has this scene. Did is this it? happen? I don't know. I don't remember it. I'm, I'm going to reread the book, obviously. I said I would <laughs> after all, we're done with this. But I'm like, did this happen in the book? When you, if you realize that this happened, because I can't remember. Uh, my brain is mush today. Uh, I want you to film a live reaction. <laughs> <laughs> But I just want to say that I think that his explanation was bullshit. And oh, yeah, if totally. you don't know the story, you're not going to think, oh, you came to see if Jane was in town because that wasn't ever right. like explicitly said in right. this adaptation. But we know. We know. We know why that bastard was in town. We know. <laughs> came to scope it out to see if his girlfriend yeah. was here. And when she wasn't, he went back home. <laughs> no, she was in town. And I think oh. that's why he came back four days oh, later. Okay. Well, yeah. either way. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, that's our big Frank and Emma 
talk unless there was anything else? No. Okay, perfect. I know. I think we got it. Um, Our next thing is the romance connection, which we kind of already touched on. Um, yeah, we did. We did. Um, Yeah, it, it really felt like after the, the ball, we started to get that the romance kind of that was like the the, the spark that yeah. lit the fire because I didn't get any indication that Knightley liked Emma before that really and I didn't really in the book either until about then yeah. same thing so yeah I think that that was done very well um I will say this though that the scene so we get the proposal scene and then all of a sudden we're in like nightly study in Donwell oh, yeah. and Emma runs in <laughs> frantic and just like bawling and she's like, I can't, I can't marry you. And I'll she runs off and I was just we like, can't be together. Like, and then she runs away and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then I, wa- I continue watching and nightly was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it just it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> it felt like they weren't going to tell the actor who played nightly that she was going to do this scene. <laughs> Like, they wanted his surprise to be genuine, and like, it was. <laughs> I just felt like there was a scene missing between the proposal scene and that scene. Like, they filmed something that was supposed to go there, but they had to cut it. Because yeah. there would be no reason for you to go from that have, to the other and not just blend it in. There would have had to have been, like, a discussion where Mr. Woodhouse was like, hey, I need you forever. And then she was like, oh, crap, I can't marry him now. Right? Something yeah, like or that. Or if, like, even if that scene with her being so hysterical was, like, in the storyboards or whatever, yeah. like, it it should have just been done, like, they're still walking after the proposal. And she's like, oh, shit, I can't marry you because of my dad. Right. You know? So that's why I feel like there was something that was supposed to go in between those. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, it just seemed really weird. It did. And it actually reminded me a lot of the scene in, uh the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice yeah. where she's like she gets the letter and she comes out and she's just like crying and then she walks back and uh and that makes me wonder if Emma Thompson worked on this adaptation or not because a- Emma Thompson is the reason we have that scene yeah. with Keira Knightley in uh her Pride and Prejudice movie with the letter from Lydia that was all Emma Thompson and I know Katrina you're not a fan of that scene yeah but I love so. Emma Thompson so yeah I know I'm very conflicted <laughs> I am conflicted too. It's okay. I still yeah. love you, Emma Thompson, and your choices are your own, and that's all that matters. Yeah. But anyway, so we have a hysterical Emma. That was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah. random. It was like it was like, and now for something completely different. <laughs> and then yeah. she like first six and, and now for something a twenty-one-year-old girl would do. <laughs> uh, but then of course he comes out. And he's like, "I'll come live with you at your house," and then like all is well again. Yeah. So few, thank goodness. Um, You know, within this romance discussion, um, we haven't talked a ton about Harriet, but I would like to hear thoughts about, like, her telling Emma that she likes Knightley and, like, that whole lead up. Because I felt like you could really see, when they're having the initial discussion before, where when they're like, oh, I like this guy, and Emma thinks it's Frank, you know, after, like, the whole quote unquote gypsy scene which Mm -hmm. hold on let me put a pin in that and be like okay so we have 2020 just the illusion talk of gypsies we don't see them Mm -hmm. when a paltrow full-grown men maybe some weaponry very scary Mm -hmm. to this one where it's just a bunch of little boys like pulling (laughs) at her dress it's like she falls to the ground and i'm like these are boys like just yell at them to go away like 
like, what is wrong with you? So it like felt very much like the book and like how you're yeah. supposed to react in that scene because I feel like that was kind of Austin like putting in this thing like, here are these people overreacting to like a group of people who are totally fine just trying to mm-hmm. live their lives. Stop yeah. being mean to them. Like, and you get that in this film. Mm-hmm. So well, I also feel like Harriet is less like traumatized by yeah. it in this adaptation than she is in some of the others. Although he still like, carries like, he still carries her. <laughs> but remember she was talking about how her feet hurt. Yes. And like that's yes. and initially in the book, the reason why she can't she, run is because she gets a cramp, so yeah. it would make sense. Yeah. But she's not like, oh, and I know in 2020, like it's it's overacting for a reason. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny, but yeah, it's I although so even though real life Harriet in the miniseries didn't overreact, when they do Emma's like flashbacks trying to like picture this scene when she's hearing about it, it's like mm-hmm. Frank picks up um, Harriet and then Harriet does that huh, like thing yeah. like it's <laughs> so kind of like her um, so. So we get a quote unquote flashback slash Emma makes up the scene uh, in her own head of uh, Mr. Dixon saving Jane Barabax's oh, yes, life. And yeah. it's so overdramatic. Yeah, and she, they're perfect. just like, he's like holding her in his arms. And she's just like, oh, my goodness, like swoon worthy, like romance novel and cover. And Mrs. It's Dixon is like watching in the background like the yeah it's it's hilarious it's good. um but anyway so yeah so we have harriet like ah and then quote unquote gypsy's like no and then all this stuff right and so they're having yeah. this conversation like oh you like you like frank it's perfect and she's clearly talking about nightly and even as a viewer you can like kind of tell because they're mm-hmm. like oh we won't say names and all this stuff and it's like coming it's almost fresh off the ball anyway so like I felt like you could really tell that they were talking about different people. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we were earlier. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was 100% <laughs> like us earlier. So when you get to the point where Harriet comes over and is like confessing that mm-hmm. she likes Mr. Knightley, you're just like, yeah, this makes sense. I am not shocked by it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And again, like, because this is a miniseries, I know mm-hmm. I said it again. Uh, we see Knightley and Harriet talking yep. just randomly. Emma walks by and they're just chatting about uh, crop circulation, not circles, crop like rotation. That's rotation. what I was looking for. Yes. Yeah, not rotations in <laughs> not crops, aliens. circles in crops. <laughs> not talking about aliens. I told you Jane Austen was an early sci-fi writer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the science fiction of uh, Jane Austen is that, uh, Elizabeth Bennett was proposed to twice by the same guy. And who is like uh, insanely, they, insanely rich. Yeah. yeah. That's that's definitely sci fi. That for sure is. Yeah. Anyway, but no, I agree with you. Like I didn't think that it was a shock that she liked Knightley. It was very clear that she liked Knightley. So Yeah. I agree. All right. So now um let's come on to our next point of conversation, which is there's things that we want to talk about that we noticed in the film. So if you would like to start, I believe yours has to do with Clueless. So while I was watching this adaptation, I was just like, this feels like Clueless, but set in the right time period. Okay. Like, it was the attitude of, like, Emma felt very much like Cher. And it didn't really help that the actress kind of looks a bit more like Alicia Silverstone. Um, But... 
Like just I kind of got young Drew Barrymore vibes from her. Right, but she yeah. wasn't in Clueless. So right, no, matter. I know, but I just, just wanted to throw that yeah. in there. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the way she, like, talks to her dad and, like, talks to Knightley and the way Knightley and her interact, like, again, like I said before, feels very much like Cher and Josh. And, you know, it's, like, it just felt so relatable and kind of casual, almost, like, Clueless was. And, like, the flirting with Frank felt very much like, like, Cher's attempts to flirt with Christian and stuff like that. And it just... I don't know, but in my head, I just felt like this feels modern, even though it's in this other time period. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that, especially after like the Gwyneth Paltrow one, which felt more like, you know, oh, this is a historical take on this, you know, like her, you know, BBC yeah. stuff it, it didn't feel like a bbc miniseries is kind of what i'm getting at. it felt like a modern rom-com kind of thing yeah and i really enjoyed it and i just couldn't get it out of my head like every time emma does something and like she has like that facial reactions and stuff like i just i kept seeing share yeah yeah it was yeah i agree that was my thing like it just it just read so much like clueless to me yeah so i really enjoyed this adaptation if you can't tell yeah <laughs> I do too. Um, yeah. So the thing that I wanted to point out um, with the great Michael Gambon really? as our Mr. Woodhouse, here's the thing I need to point out is he, so with Michael Gambon, who I sometimes refer to as Gambondor because he did play Dumbledore for a lot of the Harry Potter films. Sadly. Um, he had to replace the wonderful Richard Harris. Yes. We know he replaced Richard Harris, um, Richard Harris, unfortunately. He was Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter movies and then passed away. And he is like Dumbledore. Richard Harris is Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have Michael Gambit come in, who is like, took Dumbledore to a whole other realm. (laughs) Michael Gambit doesn't play characters. He plays Michael Gambit. But... Him as Mr. Woodhouse, I did buy it. Like, I bought it. Like, he had, like, enough authority, like, to the point where it's, like, it almost felt like Cher's dad, where, like, there's, Mm -hmm. like, some authority there. He's not just, like, some, like, frail old man. Like, he felt very in control of things, which you get that in Mm -hmm. the book. He would also just perfectly repeat himself. Like the Mr. Woodhouse in the book does, where mm-hmm. he's like, should I go for another turn in the garden? I, I don't know. And she's like, yeah, go, Dad. She's like, I don't know. She's like, we got to keep to our routines. Okay. <laughs> and he like goes and walks and like, you know, they have a big fight with Knightley and he leaves. And he's like, oh, Knightley's gone. I knew I shouldn't have went for that other turn in the garden. <laughs> and just like things like that. Or like the when she comes back from Box Hill. And she's, like, very, very upset. And he's, like, how was your thing? And, like, he can can tell she's crying, but he's just, like, awkward dad. Like, I don't know To be fair, he's not looking at her. He's in the other room and her back is to him. her back is to him. He's, like, looking that way. But you can tell, like, he's just, like, I'm not going to go console her. (laughs) I don't know. Are you planning another trip anytime soon? (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know. I... I really liked him as Mr. Woodhouse. Like, I, all of our Mr. Woodhouses, I felt, have been very different. Um, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I've loved them all, but 
I really liked his Mr. Woodhouse. I it it didn't feel so much like Mr. Woodhouse as it felt like Michael Gammon, Mr. Woodhouse. He needs well, like I need to like he marry does. his name to something. Yeah, like with these like Gambendor. What is he? Gambin Woodhouse. Woodhouse I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll think of something, guys. I'll you don't have to, to add you. the Dumbledore into Woodhouse <laughs> yes, door. Yes, I do. Gam Woodhouse door. Gam Wood door. Gam Gam Wood door. But he's not yeah. Dumbledore, so I don't know what. <laughs> anyway, I just. <laughs> Every time I see Michael Gambon and things, it just makes me, I just get like excited because I just know I'm going to get him. As, when, I'm yeah, get him when you said, when you're like the great Michael Gambon, I was like, really? Great? Yeah, he's great because he's just himself. No, there are I not disagree. a lot of people that can do that. I disagree. Just bring themselves into a character. I, I have very strong feelings about Michael Gambon as. Dumbledore, which is saying Everybody something because does. again, he was in it for so long. He was more of a Dumbledore than Richard Harris was, but I just have strong feelings. No, that's true. So I have a hard time putting the word great anywhere near his name. <laughs> I think he's pretty great. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I did like him as Mr. Woodhouse in this. I, yeah. I, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. For sure. So what are your opinions of this adaptation versus the other adaptations? Um, basically what we've been saying this whole time is like, it just, because you have the time to like flesh everything out, you really get the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, minus the big long bits of text, like you, you get Mr. Woodhouse's like hypochondria, right? Mm -hmm. You get Miss Bates, like her incessant talking, but you don't have like three pages of text between Mm -hmm. them. So that felt you could feel those things, you could see those things, but without all of the mind-numbiness that goes along with it. And then I like the additions that they did, like the flashbacks, the Mm -hmm. Emma, like going inside Emma's head and like seeing Mm -hmm. what she's seen. Like I liked that stuff too. I think that this adaptation is the truest to the book. And again, yes, I know they have more time. Because they have more time. Yeah. But it also just... (laughs) I, I don't know. I feel like it feels more true to the book, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved the 2020 adaptation. I really did. It's funny. It's gorgeous. Anya Taylor-Joy is like a national treasure. It's just amazing. I think that if I were to introduce Emma to somebody and I was like, okay, watch this first, I would probably have them watch this miniseries Mm -hmm. instead of the 2020 film. Because I feel like you can appreciate the 2020 film. I don't know. I feel like you can appreciate it more if you're familiar enough with the story, but you can't get all of the aspects of the story from the 2020 film. Yeah, I agree. And again, I, I think that this adaptation is so well done because it feels modern. Yeah. You know, it just... Yeah, it just feels so nice and casual. It doesn't seem like it's bigger than itself or anything like that. So, And, you know, because now I think this leads perfectly into comparing it to our BBC 1995 Pride and Prejudice, which we know that Mm -hmm. is basically Pride and Prejudice in movie form, essentially. Mm -hmm. Because it's a miniseries and they have more time. It's like six episodes, right? (laughs) Is is that one six? Five? I don't know. It's longer than this one. That's for sure. 
I don't know if it's just because of the times they were filmed in, like 95 versus 2009, right? Mm -hmm. There's like more license they're taking in 2009 to like make it appealing to modern audiences. Whereas in like 95, it's just very like stiff and rigid. And don't get me wrong, I'm a 95 lover. Like I love that one. Mm Mm-hmm. For those reasons, but mm-hmm. even though this Emma miniseries wasn't like that, I still really loved it. I, yeah, I felt like, yeah, I felt like uh, in the 95 Pride and Prejudice, the characters are a bit more stiff. Like they have to feel so true to the book to the point where you're pretty much just spouting out the book. Yeah. Whereas this one, the characters feel more natural. Mm hmm. Um, and they feel more natural in their spaces, too, because that was one of the critiques we had of 95 yeah. Pride and Prejudice was that it's very clear that they're like in these places and they're not they, they, they don't feel comfortable in the rooms that they're filming in. But uh, this adaptation, they do they, like everybody just feels more casual, feels more natural, feels more real. All of the characters so. in this Emma miniseries, and I know we say this of Michael Gann because, like, he, <laughs> he's just himself playing a character, but, like, mm-hmm. it kind of felt that way, not to the extent of Michael Gammon, but it kind of felt that way for everybody. Everybody felt like they were being themselves, but still being true to the character that they were playing. And I think that that's because they felt real. Yeah. Because, like, we obviously don't know Johnny Lee Miller personally, so right. we can't say that, you know, this like, he's Mr. Knightley. Right. Like that, you know? But, um, I mean, if you ever want to hang out, just call me, dude. I mean, but, yeah. Uh... <laughs> I love you in Mansfield Park also. Shout out. Like, you play great, Bertram. Edward Bertram. So. Anyway. Uh, I think that it's just because, like, yeah, the, like, the characters and the actors and everybody just felt more real mm-hmm. in this than they did in 95. Yeah. So, which just goes to prove that, yes, Colin Firth is not a real person. He is just Mr. Darcy. Like, he's just, it's a, him being anybody who isn't Mr. Darcy, that it's a conspiracy theory. It's not actually Colin Firth. Well, and then, okay, I will offer you this argument and I'll see what you think of it. Do you think maybe in this, in Pride and Prejudice, because we have people from the city who obviously act a very certain way, and then we have, like, a slightly bigger like it's still the country right but it's like a Mm -hmm. bigger country town or village right because there's like another larger village with shopping nearby and stuff like that do you think like it felt more rigid or anything because like these characters had to play like certain characters that would be that whereas like with emma it's a smaller little country thing and maybe they act differently i don't know yeah, I mean, I could see that. I could see how having the different classes interact with each other in Pride and Prejudice would feel a little bit more stiff because they're not as familiar with each other. Whereas in Emma, while we do have different classes interacting, like they've known each other forever. Yeah, they've known each other for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it could it could just be that yeah. as well. Maybe, but I don't know. There are certain parts of Pride and Prejudice that still felt a little stiff, like like the family scenes and mm-hmm. stuff like that with the Bennets. Mm-hmm. So As compared to 2005, where they're very right, much more right. relaxed. And that makes sense, because like the you would think that the Bennets would be that way with each other when they're alone with each other, because they've been there all their lives yeah. and know, yeah. you know their family. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's it. That's our thoughts on the Emma miniseries, which, again, yes. we really liked it. It was great. Yeah. Like, 
it, we got it on Amazon. Go check it out. For sure. Uh, it's worth the I, watch. I know some people in our, like, the Jainite spheres are aware of this one. I haven't seen too much of it in terms of, like, screenshots and stuff like that. So I don't know how popular this one is. It could be that this is one of the most popular ones and Katrina and I just didn't know. Yeah. But we really liked it. It's we really found good. it. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Or if you are familiar with it and you haven't seen it in a while, maybe worth a revisit. Yeah. yeah. But um, so we're going to move on to talking about book adaptations. Books! So that's really exciting. All the books. But that does mean, and I'm repeating this again, we will be going to an every other week release of the podcast because Katrina and I need time to read the books because yes. we're reading whole books. Whole books. <laughs> so... Yeah, we have a couple of, like, modern versions of Emma. We have... I think they're all technically modern versions. I think they are all retellings. Yes. Yeah, they're all retellings as opposed to specifically things through characters' points of view. I do have one book that is through Knightley's point of view. I think I do, too. I don't know. It's been a hot minute since we looked at our book list. <laughs> all I know is that I just started one that's like a modern YA retelling. So You will be yeah. surprised. We will be surprised. <laughs> Everybody will be surprised. <laughs> I'll Don't worry. I'll post on Instagram what books we're reading. Yes. So if you want to follow along with us with these books, you will have time to maybe check them out from your library, purchase them from our bookshop. Mm -hmm. Bookshop.org. If you would like to own them. Um, mm -hmm. or wherever you get your books. Yep. And that's it. We will see you guys next time. Bye! Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBM Podcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBM Podcast.